Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources. My name is Brenda, and looking forward to spending another really awesome show with you guys. Um, If you are joining for the first time, welcome, 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 welcome. Um, Hopefully, you're going to get some really great nuggets of information out of this. Uh, This is a fun podcast, and uh, the goal is to actually get you actionable information based off of uh, real issues and things that take place here in the workplace. And for those of you who are coming back and you're listening again, thank you so much. Really. Uh, It's you guys. You guys have done helped me do something pretty spectacular. And um, I cannot wait to share it with you. Matter of fact, I'm going to just do it right now anyway. Um, I am really excited to share with you that this podcast show has been awarded the Stevie's American Business Award bronze level in the best business podcast category for the 18th annual American Business Awards in 2020. Um, the American Business Awards are the USA's premier business awards program, and all organizations that are that are operating in the U.S. have been eligible to receive uh, nominations, public, private, not-for-profit, and for-profit, both small and large. And more than 36,000 nominations from organizations of all sizes in virtually every industry were submitted this year for consideration in a wide range of categories where I was nominated in two categories and won both to include the Bronze Award for Achievement in Human Resources as well. So more than 230 professionals worldwide actually participated in judging the process to select this year's Stevie Awards winners. Um, Super huge honor. I mean, really huge honor. It took me about two and a half hours to get unglued from the ceiling when I got the announcement that the podcast uh, got the bronze level. And there's three levels. And and I would really like to also congratulate uh, the Intel Corporation for their achievement in winning winning the gold Stevie in the category for this and their show Intel Chip Chap, as well as BMO Financial Group for their achievement in winning the Stevie Silver for their show Macro Horizons, a podcast on global trends in fixed income. So I received, like I said, that formal announcement on Friday, and I'm extremely grateful that you guys as listeners can really, really make that happen. So thank you so very much. It would not have happened without you guys listening in uh, and just really, really humbled and honored. So I am here to help share with you the what and the what and the how in human resources. And I'm in the human business, and that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. But most importantly, today we're going to be talking about employment law changes across the nation. Most of it's still related to coronavirus stuff. Should be no surprise. But I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to this information. And the main topic today, we've got a really awesome guest coming in. She is the wife of a Navy SEAL who's going to be joining us actually in a couple of weeks when we, uh, at the release of his new book. Uh, but today, Stacy Shea, who is an absolute Spartan, and uh, she's going to be talking to us today about how businesses can help supporting spouses during deployments in our continued salute to Armed Forces Month. So we had Armed Forces Day here in the U.S. on the 16th, just a couple days ago. And uh, I could not think of a better person to come on board and actually talk about um, what they can do. She's been through enough deployments with her, her husband, Tom, and has some really great insight and some really, really great information that you guys can take away. I'm going to share with you some upcoming events and then also how to get best practices delivered directly to your inbox. All right, so before we continue on, folks, the information through this podcast is for informational purposes and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respects to any other particular issue. And if you do not have an employment attorney, go ahead and feel free to reach out to me and I will likely be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over in Jackson Lewis. 
Okay, so got some news, got some stuff breaking out. I'm going to share with you. First off, um, for those of you who are federal contractors, uh, you as employers have until August 4th to implement the new OFCCP dis, uh, disability self-identification form as the OFCCP has actually approved a modified section of the 503 um, self-ID form. So make sure that you guys are using that. Also, the EEOC has released guidance on workplace reasonable accommodations with the new COVID-19 world. Make sure that you guys are checking that out as well. <clears throat> and then also, uh, there have been some temporary changes to the I-9 form. And basically, with the I-9 form specifically, it is the actual investigation of the IDs piece of it. And so they have uh, provided a little bit of leniency on it. You still have to do the I-9 form. But make sure you pop on over to the uh, USCIS website and check out because they do have some uh, temporary changes and announcements that came out for I-9 and E-Verify. Also, uh, the Department of Homeland Security has issued tempor a temporary rule for employers in the food processing industry as it pertains to H-2B workers. So make sure you guys are jumping up on top of that. OSHA has also issued a new COVID-19 alert to restaurant and beverage vendors, especially since a lot of you guys have been able to remain open and do uh, curbside service. Uh, but there is some new information that has come out from OSHA. You guys want to stay on top of that. So a little while ago, we had announced that the EEOC had put, uh, there was going to be no EEO1 reporting for uh, the 2020 year. That has not gone away permanently. I know we had a lot of people that were excited that that was going to go away permanently. Well, that's not going to happen. So um, the EEOC is actually postponing the EEO1 data collection until 2021. So um, it means you still need to continue collecting your EEO information. And particularly if you are a federal contractor, do not get locked in that area. You still need to collect the information and retain it because you're going to have to, you're going to be compiling some data down the road. And over in Alabama, uh, the governor's proclamation has provided uh, certain levels of civil immunities for businesses. So guys want to, if you're down in the southern states in Alabama, go ahead and take a look and see what's going on. And Connecticut has released guidance for May 20th reopening, but requires certification and training as well. So make sure you guys are jumping on that. Indiana employers must develop a COVID-19 plan to ensure a safe work environment. So you make sure you want to look into that. And then Maryland has also enacted mandatory WARN Act obligations for even small job actions. Um, I know I've got some clients that are up there, so I need to check that out myself. Um, over in Massachusetts, there's been some proposed amendments to the Massachusetts paid family and medical leave regulations that are now released for public comment. That means that they are taking feedback before they are actually enacting those amendments and putting them into play. So if you want to get on in on that action, check out what those things are. This is a great opportunity to go ahead and provide your input as a uh, HR operator. Uh, Michigan has extended their stay home order, but allows manufacturing to continue to resume. Over in New York State, we had uh, they've and actually enacted their statewide paid sick leave law. And as well, New York City, and we talked about this a little while, uh, a little while ago, <clears throat> the New York City human rights law ban on pre-employment marijuana testing uh, is in effect. It is actually engaged. And then lastly, over in Wisconsin, I know some of you may have seen this in the, in the mainstream news, but Wisconsin Supreme Court had uh, struck down the COVID-19 safer at home order and their considerations for Wisconsin employers. So that's the first of its kind right there and guaranteed we're going to be seeing a lot more as it comes these some of these cases are coming to court and once they um that information does come available we're gonna i'm definitely gonna make sure that we share that information with you guys there are approximately 2500 members of the u.s special operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation's dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL, 
I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. So I have this thing, I know I just heard myself doing it on the last episode where I seem to start off every guest episode with, so folks, we've got this person on and, and it's not going to be any different this time either. So we have Stacy Shea and I am super excited to have her here. She is the wife of uh, U.S. Navy SEAL Tom Shea, who has been a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal influence in people's worlds and uh, them working together is, is a pretty impressive duo. And she is here with us today to really kind of talk about in support of our Armed Services Month, um, how to support uh, employees who have family members or spouses who are currently on deployment. So welcome, lady. How are you? Thanks for having me. I love anytime I get to chat with you and spend some time together virtually or otherwise. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's pretty neat. We've actually never like met, 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 <laughs> but we seem to be connected and we just stay in touch. And she's a, she's an awesome lady and a, and a really good influence. So I, thank you. I appreciate you being on. Yeah. Thank you. And Tom's funny. Tom's funny as heck too. Oh my goodness. He's a hot mess. <laughs> you can never be, you have to be careful what you ask him because you can never be sure what he's going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> you look at a very raw, honest answer. <laughs> Mercy. Oh, yeah. When he and I first started talking, I told you this earlier, but I'll share this with everybody else. And I said, so I, he says, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an HR professional. And he goes, they're the worst people on the planet. <laughs> and I just started laughing. <laughs> and I said, he said, they're always in your way and they don't. And I'm like, well, that's over in the Navy, man. Out in the real world, we're, we're, we give you a different answer. <laughs> so that's a classic Tom, right? It there. is. I know he's such a great guy though. And um, we're actually planning on having Tom on uh, as you guys get closer to the release of his next book, which will be pretty awesome. And the, we're looking at June for that. So this is, so this is going to be right around the corner. Yeah, we're excited to have him on for that as well. Thanks for that opportunity. Oh yeah, my pleasure. I can't wait. So back to you though. You're, you're the, you're the Spartan on the show today. So uh, Spartan women, as he refers to you, but so, um, you know, the whole setting all of this up, guys. So what I was really interested most is that I read Tom's first book. <clears throat> and first off, you, those of you know, from following I'm dyslexic, reading is not fun for me, but I was so drawn into this book. And I was so impressed about um, what was written in regards to the relationship between Tom and Stacy and how impactful they talked about their marriage. I mean, it, it was just, you know, the feminine energy, the men, the masculine energy, really just everybody, they're in their roles. And just the, the support that you guys give was just incredible. But what a lot of people don't know is in the SEAL community specifically, and I can, I can share this, that it, there's tight knit and then there's then there's like immersed together. And that's really what the SEAL community is. It's not only we've talked about how the guys have each other's back, but the wives have each other's backs as well. And when somebody is on deployment, the, um, the support is just unbelievable. And that's why I wanted you on is to kind of share with people what, what it's like for families and employees when a spouse goes out on deployment and, and it'll certainly get, get to that. But if you could kind of give a little bit of background on like how you and Tom met and you know, how long you guys have been together and just a, like a, a brief kind of 
I don't want to say summary, but a summary. <laughs> I'll give you some, some background. Some background, right. So um, Tom and I met in January of 2005 mm. at Starbucks in Coronado, where <laughs> I had been on a business trip to San Diego, and I had a little extra time to myself and figured I'm never coming back to California again. I was living in um, – South Central Pennsylvania at the time. And I thought, yeah, I'm never going to be here. I may as well go visit Coronado. And it's kind of a funny story. And it's in his first book. And I had been enjoying myself a little bit too much the night before. I ordered a triple shot of espresso and he made fun of my drink. He was like, ooh, is that going to put hair on your back? <laughs> and I turned around at this big, ugly dude. And I'm like, does that line usually work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and basically we were married nine months later. Yep. And we have in September, it's 15 years. And at the time he had a four year old and a seven year old from his first marriage who have, you know, been for many, many years, my children, I have a hard time with adding the word step to my relationship with, his uh, older kids. And then we have a little boy, not so little anymore, 13 years old, now two inches taller than me. And um, so we're very busy. And of course, with what's going on with the coronavirus thing, they're all three home. Our oldest is a senior at West Point who will be graduating very shortly. She'll be commissioned on the 23rd of May, and she will graduate officially at the Academy on the 13th of June. We're so proud of her. She's going to be going to flight school in Fort Rucker, Alabama, and she wants to fly Chinook helicopter. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. It's been neat to watch. It's been neat to watch from afar, and you know, we're connected on Facebook, and it's been really cool to see the, the kids grow up you know, over time and I've never met them, but they're really, it's fun to watch their, their progress. Yeah. Yeah. That progression. It's, it's fun that you can see those things for friends that are across the miles. And mm -hmm. I know many people have got to experience what I do. A lot of friends on Facebook that have come to really mean something to you from watching their kids and seeing their, their um, tender, wonderful celebra celebratory moments in and trying times and tragic loss and all those things. And it doesn't mean you feel less connected. So especially these days, I, I think a lot of us are grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. I think my favorite post I've seen was the Navy SEAL Christmas tree and the Navy SEAL <laughs> Christmas decorations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have, so a red, white, and blue. we have a red, white, and blue Christmas tree every year. <laughs> I love it. I think that's yep. great. Yeah. So... So you guys have been together for 15 years and Tom retired as a senior chief. Am I, am I remembering that yes, correctly? That's right. Yes. Senior chief. So, so that's the second highest level enlisted level that a service member could have in the Navy. And how many deployments did you guys experience together as a couple? We experienced two. Okay. So, um, you know, and our workup and deployment cycle is uh, 24 months and um, they are gone, no matter if they're home or deployed, they're gone 250 days a year. Mm -hmm. And then for the time that he wasn't deployed, where he was supposed to be doing what's called shore duty, meaning they should have more dwell time, meaning at dwelling in their house, he was teaching sniper school in Indiana, and it was three 10-week courses a year. So I'll let you do the math and see how much time he was really home. So That's 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, they're, they're never home. I mean, it's just, it's a challenge in and of itself when they're, and we can do another podcast sometime on when they retire and the, the challenge that is to have them around all the time. Cause you know, it's like nobody knows which lane they're supposed to be in. Cause everybody's gotten into such a pattern of this, extended absence and independence and then interdependence that works. And then when they're not gone all the time, you're not really sure what to do. And I will never forget our little boy chance, six years old and Tom had just retired and he points at his father, but he looks at me and he said, when is he going on a trip? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like everybody's used to like the coming and going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I see that, you know, cause I work on the, I, I work a lot in, as you know, in the community on the exit side, right? <clears throat> Not yeah. so much while everybody's in service. It's, it's, you know, once they retired or they're, you know, in the process of, you know, checking out of the teams and, and whatnot. But so two deployments and if Tom was with development group, correct? No, he was at seven. So he, he had seven. been, when we met and got married, he was third phase in Bud's instructor. And then he okay. checked into team seven, like, I think right before or right after we got married. Got it. So folks, just so you understand, Team 7 means that he was stationed still out on the West Coast, not here on the East Coast. The odd, the West Coast is the odd number of teams and the East Coast are the even number of teams. So it's pretty easy to geographically understand where everybody is just by what team. So he was in Team 7. He retired out, was a Bud, uh, Bud's instructor, and um, you guys had two deployments. What was your first deployment like for you? Um. <clears throat> really not knowing what to expect. We'd been married uh, a little over a year, let's say maybe a year and a half we had been married and we had a four month old child and um, he left when Chance was four months old. I knew some of the wives. I was just starting to feel like I really had an understanding of the way things work in that community um, and knowing some key people to lean on and to go to when I didn't know what to do. And I also had his older children who were then six and nine. So I had a newborn, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old and a husband who was in Iraq and no family around. And you know, those are the moments when you realize that your family is the SEAL community. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that it's like no other bond I can imagine exist anywhere else in the world. Um, it's different than, like you said, regular Navy or big army. It's, yeah. a, it's a very small group of people. And if I would be in Los Angeles at three in the morning and got a flat tire and accidentally called one of them to help me instead of, you know, hey, Tom or whatever, they would help me. They would come and drop what they were doing. And I have countless stories of that, of being on the receiving end of that or watching people being on the giving end of that or participating in that. But we all pick up whenever anybody needs any of us. And like you said, we are really, it's different than a closeness. We're enmeshed. Yeah. Yeah, you're ingrained. And this is, this is the exception to the rule too, that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm giving it, I have this wonderful person on as a guest who, you know, we're talking about a very specific community. This, this experience doesn't exist. Like you mentioned with that through in the rest of the Navy or a lot of the other branches of service, because, you know, not that, not that the SEAL teams are that unique. I mean, they're unique in of itself. It's just, that's the culture of the community. And because it's so small, you know, people, you have those shared experiences and those shared relationships. But, you know, when you're talking about the remainder of the fleet or you're looking at, you know, the General Army or, or the Air Force where you've got more individuals in a specific unit, there's more people and there's less commonality and, and less of that connectivity. I mean, that's just the nature of the dynamic of it. And so hearing, you know, from, you know, the, the spec op side of things, um, is very important because understand this is not the average of what your um, typical family service family would actually experience. This is, this is particular. So hearing what ideally what would happen from your experience is not the case. So it just gives everybody the opportunity to kind of start thinking outside of the box. It's like, well, if this isn't happening for our people, then what do we need to do? Right. So yeah, please go on. Yeah. Um, so I can give you some experiences. Oh, I have a great one. Um, I don't know why, but each time Tom would leave for an extended period of time, whether it was, you know, he had a class to take in Florida that he was gone for six weeks. He had those 10 week trips to Indiana, the deployments almost without fail, I would get sick and, and chance would too, at least on the deployments. And I can remember, during it was the Iraq deployment 
and I could not get Chance in to see the doctor. I could get in, but I'm like, what difference does it make if I get in? He's still sick, and that's far more important, as any mom knows, than mm -hmm. your own well-being. So a guy in the teams who was a corpsman came to my house at 10 o'clock at night with his wife and their baby in the car seat. And he brought his medic bag inside and examined me and Chance and gave us antibiotics. So we take care of our own. Yeah. Without exception. So I have another story if you're interested. Oh, yeah. In, um, I mean, I could tell these for hours and hours, but a woman whose husband was deployed, three children, and she has an emergency appendectomy. Mm. So she's literally rushed to the hospital. And wh what do you do when your husband's deployed and you have three kids? So of course, what, what do you do? You send his team of spouses to clean the house and fill it with groceries and, and cook and care for her kids and take care of her and bring her home and stay with her. That's, that's what you do. Right. Yeah. And in terms of if you know, you're looking at how can an employer have a greater understanding or um, manage the relationship with a service member's spouse, whether it's a man or a woman, understand that they're um, dealing with a tremendous amount of unknown. Yes. I mean, they can get some really bad news anytime. And that bad news can be that dreaded knock at the door that nobody wants to hear. It can also be something less serious, but still very stressful, whether it's an extension of a deployment, there's been, you know, some sort of incident one way or another that your loved one has been involved with and it's going to have ramifications and you're, you're having to, to do a lot of waiting and hand wringing and you just don't know so flexibility with time flexibility with understanding that you know um everybody handles it differently i don't feel like most of the women in our community are the type who are going to carry their emotions on their sleeve they're going to um, I mean, suck it up's an inappropriate word, but they're strong and they're going to, they're going to carry that load. That's what yeah. we do. Um, so you're not going to necessarily see a struggle, but being flexible, I would think mostly with time and understanding that the, the demands on people whose, whose, uh, spouses are deployed is a significant thing. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, if you've never experienced a deployment or you haven't been with families or, you know, um, associated with individuals who, who their spouses are on deployment, like really closely, you know, especially in the teams, like, you know, you may get a couple phone calls maybe throughout, but it's not like you can spend a lot of time talking about, you know, it's like, okay, I got my husband on the phone and now I can just like, mentally dump on top of that person all of my problems in the world you can't do that because they're they're in a different mindset and as a matter of fact in the book you guys talk about that is that you didn't relay your what the challenges that you were going through when you guys were on the phone it was always about you know letting reassuring that you're fine so that he doesn't worry while he's over there because he can't do anything about it right he i'm fine and the kids are fine that was always what i i mean that's what he had to hear and I know they're a, a really difficult moment for our family. The first time he was deployed in Autumn's life was when he went to Iraq, or I guess her, her life where she could remember it. And she, she was nine years old, and she couldn't wait for the first time to be able to Skype with him. And so I had been talking to him on Skype, and she was like, Daddy, Daddy, I, I can't wait to talk to you. And she came over. And she looked at him on the computer and he looks different on deployment than he looks at home. They are exhausted almost all the time. He looked dirty. He looked like he was in a dirty place. His hair was scruffy. You know, he, he looked exhausted. He looked like he was sad mm -hmm. and she fell apart and started sobbing and wanted nothing to do with that conversation at all. And so in that moment, as a spouse, you have to manage 
what both of them are going through. Right. Because he feels like a failure as a father. And he's around the globe, and that may be the last time he gets to speak to his child. Yeah. And, and I have to tell her that not everything's going to be okay. That's a lie. One doesn't know that. I have to tell her that your father is strong and he is doing what he loves. And it's our job to be happy and to be a strong family while he's gone. Yeah. And that takes really, I mean, that's a, that's, that takes fortitude to be able to do something like that. I mean, that's no, I mean, very few people could relate to something like that unless, you know, they've been in that particular situation and that, and then to turn around in, you know, I, I can't remember if you were working at the time or not, but imagine having that conversation. And then the next morning being able to wake up, get everybody going, look at yourself in the mirror and put on somewhat of a face, turn around and then go to work and deal with people who have what we call first world problems. I can't, connect oh, yeah. my, so, I can't connect to my internet. Oh my God, I got have, an oil change. We have no patience for, for uh, whining and complaining and weak people. We don't, I mean, none of us, like spouses, team guys, like we have a very low tolerance for people who complain. Very low. I mean, it's, it can be tough to be around us at times. I do know that, but it's, it's a gift and it's a skill and it's definitely needed. And this being in that, that particular kind of life, it requires a level of strength and selflessness that you don't often see. So what is available for military families who have somebody on deployment who are struggling with deployment? So um, you know, like we said, in the SEAL community, there's a tremendous amount of support. All you need to do is make one phone call and boom, people are showing up. But for those that don't have that level of connectivity, what kind of support for employees? So employers understand what's available through the military, like what exists. Being that I was only in the SEAL community, I'm, I'm going to be uh, lax to answer that question. Uh, but, you know, what, what I think is probably the most important thing for someone who's struggling is to reach out to someone at your command, no matter what, um, what armed service your family is involved Mm -hmm. with, because being in a protracted war, like we are, and I mean, I guess it's over or it's not, but we're always somewhere doing something. Um, there's a lot more sensitivity in the military to what families go through now than there ever has been. So there have got to be resources. And I know that in the SEAL community, we have ombudsmen. I think they have a family readiness group, mm-hmm. which they actually started, right? I was the group one FRG before, right before we left. But I know that that's what exists in the army, or I'm, I think that's what exists in the army. So there's uh, peer spouses are the people that I would um, gravitate to. And I tell you who I would stay away from, no matter what group is women or men who complain about their spouse. Steer clear of people who complain about their service member, their loved one. Yeah. That, that stuff rubs off. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't do anybody any good, especially if they're, if they're deployed because you know, it's, you know, my favorite, my number one rule in life is in the absence of information, people make stuff up. And <clears throat> those types of conversations just happen in their heads. And, and I've seen it. I've seen, you know, employees go through that. Um, and it's just, it's not cool. It's not fun. Um, so it, if you could have a conversation with any employer who had an individual that was out on deployment what would you tell them? Like, what would you recommend on how they could support their employee during a six, nine month deployment? I would make myself more available to them to listen on a regular basis, even if it was like a scheduled weekly 15 minutes. And even if they say, I'm good, I don't really need anything, at least they know that weekly moment is coming that they can share be flexible with time because things are always falling apart 
at home and with your kids the moment they're deployed. I don't know what goes on in the universe, but people get sick, cars break down, things happen to just have a level of understanding and show gratitude for not only what the service member who's deployed is doing, but what the entire family is doing to include the employee and their children, mm-hmm. because they're all making a sacrifice that civilians don't understand. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have anything else that you'd like to share? Because I mean, you've got some really great talking points and some really awesome things. <clears throat> anything um, else? Yeah, I, I want to address, like, I, I don't want people to think, oh, she's um, stone cold and has no emotions, doesn't want to hear people's complaints. Like, don't, I, I want to make sure to clear that up. Like, I'm not saying people don't need to vent. I'm not saying that people aren't dealing with stress, that they need to let go of that stress sometimes by sharing what they're going through. What I'm saying is that uncommitted complaining is terrible. And the thing, so an example is for a mili- anybody on the West Coast who's in San Diego, whose spouse is deployed to complain about how bad it is, <laughs> just makes me laugh. Cause you know, I thought both of the deployments Tom did uh, when we were still in the Navy, he was in Iraq or Afghanistan from like April to October, November. So it's 120 degrees. He's got 80 pounds of gear and people are shooting at him. And I live on the beach and can go to SeaWorld or the zoo or, you know, hang out with friends, visit family, do and have family visit me if I couldn't afford to travel. Like I, I can't imagine saying that we have it worse when we're staying at home. So like keeping that in perspective is so important. And that was a big pet peeve of mine was for people, women who would complain that they have to do it all because they're mm-hmm. home. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I, I can understand that. The people in this community, they're action takers. They're, they're, they're fixers. If there's a problem, we fix it. We yeah, we step up, we volunteer. Everybody yep. I know who's been in this community has volunteered to do any number of things for our families, for our kids, for our service members, raise money, sell stuff, um, help out other families, advocate on another's behalf, show up and clean, do yard work, help take care of animals, children, grocery shop, cook, clean, any, anything people need. That's what we do for one another. You know, I almost forgot to ask probably the, probably one of the most sensitive questions I think I will ever ask on these podcast episodes is that you mentioned it earlier that, you know, there are people that go through the experience of having the knock at the door and having, um, you know, a group of men in formal uniform show up on the doorstep 10 o'clock at night, 12 midnight, one in the morning to deliver the most horrific news that any spouse could potentially imagine coming their way. And that would be that their spouse has died in the line of duty. And instantly the minute that doorbell rings, their world changes. If employers have employees that experience that, can you share some best practices, the things that they can do to help, you know, employees navigate through something like that? Because you know, we did an episode of grief way, way, way back, but this is, this is something different. I mean, loss is loss and this community knows that it's going to happen and, and everybody pulls together when it does, but employers are sometimes, they just don't know what to do. They don't know what's appropriate to say. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know when to offer help. There's a lot to it. And I know in this community, when somebody does pass and they they are killed in the line of duty the support is unbelievable yeah it really is so um i was thinking as you were discussing that and um the people that are surrounding the widow or widower they're there for a very long time literally as long as they want as long as they need and their life at some point has to return to normal, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like 
for them, you know, in a very different way. Normal might not come for a number of years, but um, consistent intermittent communication is the single most important thing. And we are ready to have you back when you're ready or whatever their the policy is just not like you're reminding them of that, but we want you, we love you and do not treat them differently. Do not pity them. Pity is the worst thing you can do. Be kind, be generous, be loving as it's appropriate in a business setting. Do not offer pity. Nothing is harder to deal with in the face of loss. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. I remember, God, this is a long time ago. This is back in the early 90s. And short version, my grandparents sponsored um, five Cambodian families into the United States uh, that came out as refugees. In the second family that lived with them, <clears throat> there was a, a guy by the name of Sochia, and he and I were the same age. So we've known each other, you know, our whole lives. And I was 22 when this happened. But unfortunately, Sochia drowned. And... Uh, Cambodian culture is um, 100 days of mourning. And then on the 101st day is um, a celebration of their life. And it, it's just, it's an amazing culture to watch. It's amazing to watch people of different cultures mourn. And so when his mom, her name was Ewan, <clears throat> um, came back to work with us, because, you know, my grandparents owned a hardware store, um, the general manager came over and you know, this was her first day back in from losing her oldest son after surviving, you know, the being effects of the Khmer Rouge. Yeah. You know, leaving, you know, being suppressed, leaving your country under tyranny, coming to another country to start your life and you can't even trust your own child. I mean, so she comes back to the very child, you know, losing the very child that she couldn't trust and um, because of circumstances and the general manager came over, made this huge spectacle gave her this hug and she broke down. I mean, this is in front of everybody. And he's like, there, there, there. He's he like loudly and patting her back. And I'm like, what a jerk. <laughs> this is the first thing that yep. went through my mind is don't ever do that. that treat okay. them, treat them like they're strong because they need yes. to be. Yeah. And, and she couldn't get a grip the whole day. I mean, yep. it was like the one thing that she didn't need was that. Yeah. People don't know it's counterintuitive because we are loving, we're wired to comfort one another in times of loss. And it's the, the most comforting thing you can do is treat somebody normal and not like they're broken. Right. Yeah. Because they're trying to figure out how to put the pieces back and that's not yeah. our job. Right. And I mean, be there to listen and offer that when they ask, but don't go to them and tell them how. Just, you know, welcome them back, remind them there's still a place for them there. And the, I mean, the sooner people get back to work, the better. And I've lived through this recently. My father passed away in October and my stepmom had been off of work caring for him for quite some time. And I really wanted her to take longer off and come and spend like a solid month with me and my family so that I, you know, it was selfish as much as it was gracious. Like I want to see, I want my eyes on her. I want to know she's okay. And she said, I need to get back to work. I need to, you know, be around people who are living their lives. I need to get out of, you know, the death of your father. I need a space between that moment and where my life is now. So reminding people, you know, based upon whatever company's policies are, you have the time, but we want you back. Right. When you can, when you're ready. Yeah. And, you know, companies, our policies, you know, can range up to like, typically on average, it's like up to three days of bereavement for the loss of a, you know, direct family. But, you know, look, if somebody needs the time and three days is not enough to get your no. world back together again. And especially when you're dealing with deployment, because if somebody is killed overseas, then there's the, you know, the repatriation of the remains coming in. There's the transportation coming through Dover and wherever it needs to go. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that has there's to happen. There's a lot of moving parts. Absolutely. And all of the um, dealing with the KCO officers with all of the benefits and paperwork and all of those yeah. things. 
Yeah. Three days isn't enough. And so, you know, if somebody needs, if somebody's in this situation and they need to take that extra time, give them a per, give them, give them personal leave, you know, paid or unpaid, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and give them the, give them the time to, to deal with their lives. And then, you know, then they're dealing with their children on top of it. And then they're dealing with everybody else's grief and they can't deal with theirs. If there's more room for uh, a military family to, to deal with being a military family, mm-hmm. you will get so much more production at work. Yeah. You will get your money's worth because they typically, I'm, I speak only from this small uh, section, but these are people that are hardworking and want to overachieve. And they will, especially, and they'll give so much more. And I'm sure that's human nature anyway, if he, if they understand that they're appreciated and they're not going to be under the gun. Yeah, exactly. So they, military families just need a little extra time and space to deal with the things that they have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, those are the two things I would say would make the most difference for a military spouse. You know, not if you're 15 minutes late, if you're 30 minutes late, if you need to leave early because of things going on with the kids at school or doctor's appointments or whatever, I wouldn't, I would caution you against being super stringent with those policies because it's adding tremendous amount of stress. And I mean, of course this doesn't, um, this excludes people who are going to take advantage of that grace. And I think we all can identify those people. Yeah. We're good at it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, a hidden agenda when it's there, you just may not know what the, how, you know, oh, what yeah. is. but, oh, yeah. um, Oh, you know, I just thought of this too. So let's talk about something a little happier. <laughs> so let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when you've got families, when you've got spouses that are out on deployment, there's the joy of the return yes. and the anticipation of it. And, um, you know, that's something too, is I think, like if, if I were in a situation where I, I had somebody that was, who had a spouse on deployment, one of the first things I would say is, when do you want to take time off? I mean, I wouldn't even make it a, a, a requirement, but I would say like, how much time and when do you want to take off so that you can go celebrate the return and meet them at the ship or meet them, you know, when they come off the plane or on the, on the base or whatever, right? Yeah. I would, if as an employer, I would build that up as a really positive thing and to, to know as an employee that my company is telling me to get out of here and go run and hug my husband, I, I drop my company in a second to go to. Yeah, it. absolutely. You know, yeah. that's and, definitely, a, yeah, those are, yeah, that's a precious moment. And those first few days when they're home too, to have them, you know, just their feet on American soil is a moment that not many can appreciate. No, but there's also the readjustment period that comes with that. And, you know, what's unique to the teams is that families are encouraged to spend time together before the guys go back, but that doesn't happen in most areas of the military. They only have so much time to reintegrate and, you know, then new drama comes up, you know, new family dynamics start to take place. Yeah. So the return is just as important as the departure and the middle. Yeah. And if there's unfinished business going on with them being home, you're not going to get their full attention when they're at work. No, not at all. No, it's, it's really an investment into what's best for the company and the other people who are working there to make sure that the needs of that person are met and they're unique and different than their peers probably. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm mentally tapped. I don't have any other questions. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. This is a few times that somebody has been able to shut me up. Wonderful. What an accomplishment. <laughs> I know. I can't like, wait to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me five minutes, will you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you being on. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Absolutely. I look forward to talking to Tom as well. So we got the news a few weeks ago that the Sherm 20 conference has been canceled and that was a 
that was a drag. <laughs> I know a lot of people were really looking forward to going. I was looking forward to going. But the Sherm 21 conference was actually be taking place in Chicago next year. And if you've never attended the Sherm conference, um, you, you all have that pent up energy or you just want to learn how to make the most of upcoming Sherm events. I've actually launched a new free course on the HR University called Making the Most of Your Sherm Convention and it includes a free download checklist to help you go ahead and get prepared. You guys are welcome to go ahead and take it. Uh, it might have some really good nuggets of information. We talk about networking um, and all that good stuff. And I meet a lot of really awesome people over there and, you know, I'm as we get closer to that one, just like I was doing here, you know, I'm going to start announcing uh, where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be somewhere. We're going to put together a networking event. So it's, it's going to be great. So you guys are welcome. You know, go ahead, go over to the bestpractices.org website, click on HR University up at the top and you're, you know, just go ahead and take the course. It's, thing, it's an hour of really good information. If not, you can sit there and just laugh at whatever I'm saying. <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> So I do have a new show that has actually come out. Um, a couple, a while ago, we actually had Suzanne Lucas, also known as the Evil HR Lady. And she and I have teamed up. And each week we stream live on YouTube called The Real HR Show, where we talk about all things HR. And this week we discuss how to deal with sensitive employees. And the show is a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's really cool because it gives us an outlet to kind of go on a tangent a little bit, but then we always bring it back to giving some more actionable solutions, very similar to what you guys listen, what you guys get out of here. Uh, she's in Switzerland and I'm here in the U S so thank goodness for technology, right? So Suzanne is also the evil, the, the famous evil HR lady, writer and contributor to Inc.com with over a thousand articles. So she's pretty awesome. And needless to say, we have a lot to talk about. So you can find a link to the show on our website at therealhrshow.com. Um, like I said, streams every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to catch us live, if not, you can certainly catch us on the replay as well. And you guys, you know that I love your HR questions. Love them. Well, guess what? We're coming back to them. And you're welcome to go ahead and submit your questions on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. <clears throat> so the, the one that I got today was really kind of interesting. It came back with an employee has complained to her that her manager has forged her signature on a document that was submitted to HR. How do I validate this? <clears throat> well, that's a really good question. So, I mean, obviously the first thing that you would want to do is, you know, compare other signatures, um, you know, prior signatures to the current document, or you can have the individual sign their name on something and then you compare that signature to the document that was handed in. Um, if you, you know, there's other ways of doing it too. So if everything that you're capturing is digital, well, you know, that's kind of the, the question would be, well, if it's a digital document, how did the manager get access to the system to sign off on? So, you know, you'd have to do some, you know, behind the work, uh, take a peek with your IT department to see if that's in fact what the case was. But if you're talking about like a, an actual tangible piece of paper and most of what you guys capture is on digital, then you're just going to have to compare, you know, signatures to you know, whatever the employee is signing. Uh, the other thing that you can do too is that if, you know, it's, I, I don't know what environment this is in particularly, but, you know, if you have an environment to where there's video monitoring um, and it's kind of a, an operation to where somebody's actions are more out in the open, um, you know, if it's in a retail environment or something like that, you can, you know, check your cameras to see if that's in fact what happened, if that's possible. I, I remember years and years ago, um, we wound up releasing an employee for uh, fraudulently signing a customer's, uh, uh, putting, he put the customer signature on a document uh, because it was missed during uh, the sales process and it turned out that we actually caught him on camera doing it. So, you know, that was what that triggered that. And unfortunately, we had to, you know, release him. He was a really good guy, but, you know, you don't take that kind of shortcut, <clears throat> particularly when it comes to highly sensitive information. So um, that that really was it is. And then, you know what? Look, when, when you know, if it turns out that somebody has forged a document, a signature on a document, and it's a manager, well, you know, you got to, you certainly have to address that as well. I mean, was it a disciplinary action that was fraudulently drafted? Or, or, 
you know, did the employee say, well, I'm not going to sign it. Well, I think that that binds an education moment to say, look, you don't sign on behalf of the employee. You just simply state that the employee didn't sign. And you note that on the form itself, that they refused to sign. They don't have to sign that document. But that doesn't mean that the conversation or the delivery didn't take place. And if it's a situation to where the manager didn't deliver it and is producing a document that goes in an employee's file, that misrepresents the employee well then you know you got a bigger issue to deal with than just a fraudulent signature you got a manager that's really stepped far beyond the ethical bounds of appropriateness so you know so you do have some options there for sure so look in situations like that if you're feeling like me <clears throat> and you just really can't sit through another webinar um, you're looking for that connection I mean real conversations in real time with real people you know, there's there's new and exciting changes that are coming in June in the next gen women in HR community. And matter of fact, this week, and it's not too late to sign up for it for uh, this week's event. Um, but we are hosting a open HR roundtable in the Facebook community. So uh, there's a couple steps you need to if you're interested and you want to join, uh, you got to do it, you know, Thursday by Thursday morning. You also have to join the group first, and there's a couple questions that you have to answer. If you don't answer them, you know, we, that's our kind of our screening process, so to speak, so we don't have a lot of people trying to spam the group or anything like that. Um, we do have uh, Brad Patrick coming back for this, and, and he was the gentleman that was on the last episode. Uh, he just retired as the Chief Human Resource Officer and Communications Officer for Valvoline. He was with Delta Airlines um, as the Global uh, HRVP during 9-11 just super phenomenal guy he's one of one of my mentors he's super awesome love talking to him and but he's coming aboard because he wants to be part of our conversations as well so um you have to go ahead and rsvp for the event it's a closed event like i said gives you the opportunity when you register to go ahead and submit your questions in advance online and it's pretty neat so we we're doing a 90-minute session where the first 60 minutes of it are answering the questions that were submitted or if anybody has questions and then we do like the last 30 minutes of it is just kind of like an open form and uh to get, be able to get some great advice from somebody who's been in the saddle for as long as he has and seen the things that he's he's had is, is pretty fantastic and then uh we're, then we're going to wind up <clears throat> rolling that out uh coming up in june with and, and i'll i'll share more information with you guys as we get there but that's going to be one of the things that we're doing on a, on a more regular basis. So if you would like to get in <clears throat> on the early bird announcement, please jump on the mailing list and you'll have that opportunity to join us for what really is an amazing event towards uh, uh, coming into June. So after all, that's what we need right now is to stop absorbing and stop ta and start talking. We, we really need that connection. And I'll tell you, we, we did it a couple weeks ago and it was fantastic. We had 12 people on board. And, um, and we all had a really great time, but it was nice to actually talk to people, even myself, so to, who were dealing with the same things <laughs> and, you know, experiencing the same challenges and really being able to, you know, to scratch each other's backs and help each other out. So it was pretty great. So that Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group that I keep talking about really is that awesome place to start. And the Next Gen Women in HR member site is only going to get better. So, uh, that is also rolling out in June as well. It's just a couple weeks away. And the monthly cost is still going to be less than three cups of coffee a week. So keep listening. Uh, sign up for updates and information that I'll be sending out uh, in the near future. And can't wait to see you guys in there. So if you guys are interested in following me, you can follow me over on Instagram and Facebook over at Best Practices in HR. You can find me up on Instagram again also as Brenda HR Lady. Over on YouTube and LinkedIn, we've got Brenda Neckvottle, just using my name, and that's spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. Plus, we've also got The Real HR Show over on YouTube as well, and the website, finally, bestpractices.work. Go ahead and click Connect at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. So, guys, thank you again so much um, for being with me on this journey. This is episode 61, and I have no plans, none whatsoever, are stopping and slowing down now. Um, you know what? When you get an accolade uh, like I shared with you guys earlier on, man, it really does motivate you to keep on taking it to the next level and 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 just make it better. And um, thanks, you guys. It really, seriously, you're the ones who I do this week after week. 
And uh, I really appreciate each and every single one of you. I love hearing your questions and your comments. And thank you for those of you who do reach out and say hi um, and let me know how something worked for you, how something didn't work for you. It's just absolutely fantastic. So you guys look, be safe, be happy. Uh, make sure that, you know, you just take a moment for yourself. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.